On behalf of Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power calls, welcome. Eve Strongheart joins us today to talk about her books, The Woman Next Door and The Black Sheep, A Survivor's Story of Recovery. Uh, These books are both deep dives into her earlier life when she was abused and recovering from substance abuse. She now works with first responders. Their PTSD exasperated her own trauma, which she wanted to face, and the writing process was part of the uh, catharsis. So let's find out how she's using her own pain to help others. Please wave your hands to welcome Eve Strongheart. Hello, Eve. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having me on your show. It is my pleasure. Eve, is this your first book? Uh, Actually, I've written two books. There is the book, The Woman Next Door, which uh, you just mentioned. And then my most recent book is called The Black Sheep, A Survivor's Story of Recovery. Ah, okay. Now, have you always wanted to write or was this something that popped up? I've always been a writer. Even as a child, writing was a way for me to express myself. I grew up in a family where talking was not encouraged. Nobody ever spoke about feelings, and I had all these feelings. So I started writing poetry at a very early age, and um, writing's always been a vehicle for me to express myself. Then what has been your vocation? Well, I worked my way through university doing a wide assortment of jobs, but I've been working in various human services jobs for since about 1987, um, working in addiction treatment, uh, mental health treatment, and most recently working with uh, trauma survivors. Mm-hmm. So how did uh, The Woman Next Door come about? The Woman Next Door is the story of uh, an abusive marriage that I was in, and uh, it's called The Woman Next Door, One Woman's Story of Capture and Eventual Escape from the Clutches of Domestic Violence and Madness, which pretty much tells you what it's about. It was (laughs) a a very um, dysfunctional marriage that I struggled to get out of for a long time, and What kept me trapped was the fact that I could see goodness in my partner, my husband, and I kept thinking I could fix the problems in the relationship because I'm a counselor and I thought, you know, I'm I'm forgiving, I'm spiritual, I'm educated, I can fix this, but I eventually found out that I just had to give up and um, save myself because the marriage was taking me down. Mm. That's a hard one to swallow, though, isn't it? A lot of pride there. Mm -hmm. Now, is there one event in your life that stands out as the starting point of having to deal with abuse in your life? Well, my second book, The Black Sheep, The Survivor's Story of Recovery, talks about um, my life kind of from beginning to end, well, not to end, but to to present. And (laughs) I. What I discovered was that I was a survivor of childhood sexual abuse starting around the age of five, and um, it continued for about five years with somebody that was my godfather, actually. 
And uh, it took me a long time to discover that because I had suppressed it. And it took me a long time to um, realize how that's impacted my whole life. And also impacted my family because I was demonstrating that I there was something wrong as a child by being withdrawn and not doing schoolwork. And, but unfortunately, my family just thought I was being difficult. And mm. so I didn't get the help that I needed as a child. Well, do you remember any other events that sort of brought this forward so it was a continuing thread? Uh, unfortunately, I, then I was also um, sexually assaulted um, many times as a teenager. And uh, I was living overseas, and um, in a, I kind of stood out like a sore thumb, and that made me a target. And so what I realized was the earlier abuse just set me up to be victimized, and mm. even to the point of my dysfunctional marriage. And it's taken me my whole life to try and figure that out and change those patterns. Now, were your parents supportive, you know, when you would tell them about situations like that, or...? Unfortunately, um, my best understanding of what happened is that when I was a child, I tried to tell my mother what was going on being um, sexually abused by my godfather. And my understanding of what happened is that I was not believed, um, mm. you know, and, you know, that's not true. Don't say that. Don't be a liar. And um, if it did happen, it's your fault. So that was the message I received somehow. And so by the time I became, and again, I was viewed as the problem child because I did all these acting out behaviors like not eating my lunch and stuffing the sandwiches under the front seat of the car to hide them and, you know, stupid stuff that's mm -hmm. obviously mm -hmm. a child acting out. But um, my mother just thought I didn't like her sandwiches and so she took it personally and I was punished rather than somebody saying, what's wrong? Why are you not eating your lunch? And, of course, I, my stomach was in knots all the time. I couldn't eat. but So nobody really understood that. And so mm -hmm. when it came to being assaulted as a teenager, I never told my parents because I had received the message that um, I wasn't going to be believed and it was somehow my fault anyway. So I spent many years trying to figure out how to stop being assaulted and I eventually figured that out by the age of about 14. Mm. Were, were your parents particularly controlling? My father, bless his heart, I, I love him. He, both of my parents have passed, but um, I love him, I honor his memory, and yes, he was very controlling. Um, that was, I realize now, a result of his own trauma. Um, but he was not able to express his own emotions, so he had no clue what to do with mine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, I suppose that's true of a lot of people. How did you find solace? You know, animals have always been a huge source of solace for me. When I was a child, Living in a rural area, uh, we had a dog and a cat, and that dog I considered my second brother. Um, he followed me around as I wandered through the woods, and I was very much raised in a free-range parenting style. And um, so I would say the animals really helped me, As and then nature. I spent a lot of time in the woods, and I would 
curl up in trees and in the shrubbery and felt a presence there that seemed to, to love me. And that was my first connection really with God. Mm. And so that was um, a huge and still continues to be a huge source of my support is animals and um, my faith in um, power greater than myself. Mm-hmm. Well, did would you, looking back at it now as a counselor, would you consider yourself as being depressed during that time? Oh, yes. I remember wanting to die as a child. Um, I remember always wanting to die. Um, I think I was too obedient to actually do it. and um, But, yeah, I remember being suicidal my whole childhood. And the closest I ever came to contemplating actually doing it was when I was 14, and I really contemplated jumping off the roof of our apartment building. Um, Fortunately, I didn't do that. Somebody interrupted me. And after that, um, I did a deep dive into spirituality and uh, a connection with that power greater than myself. And that that's really what saved me. Well, I mean, I, you know, if I consider it, a lot of people would have chosen to self-medicate during that. They would find something that they could take and say, I'm going to feel better now. Yeah. Did you find yourself doing that? Um, later on, uh, in, I, when I was about <laughs> eight, I started um, smoking pot. I was actually the last person in my family to use that substance, um, but I started uh, smoking pot and because I was a spiritually oriented kid, and so I was kind of the good girl, even though my family saw me as <laughs> the black sheep. Everything was backwards in our family. But I was I started smoking um, marijuana, and uh, that did an excellent job of numbing me completely. And so I spent about eight years just completely numb, smoking pot. I went from smoking a little little to smoking it all the time, every day, 24 hours a day, pretty much. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and smoke, put myself back to sleep by smoking more pot. There was nothing recreational about it. <laughs> and, um, and I also abused alcohol plenty in my 20s. But, uh, yeah. So I had to... I had to reach my limit with all of that and realize that I, the only way I could move forward in my life, I was just self-destructing, was to give up use of all mood-altering substances. And that's really when my recovery started, was when I... When did you begin to recognize what was happening to you? That you could you couldn't even see that that was the only answer? I didn't, yeah. Um... Well, I started, I became interested in psychology at university, and so I changed my major and started studying psychology. So that was probably the beginning of me understanding that people sometimes do things for hidden reasons, for things that are suppressed. So I started becoming curious about the world and myself, and I never really thought I could help anybody else. So in my 20s, I started studying psychology, and um, but I finally sobered up and completely stopped using all substances that would alter my mood when I was uh, in my early 30s. And was there something specific that that happened that you all, you know, the light bulb went on? (laughs) 
Unfortunately, there were several specific things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just just dysfunctional relationships that were just ridiculous. Um, You know, bad boyfriends threatening me, and uh, my life was just a mess. And um, I was just, I it finally just end this depression and suicidal thinking and. I just really came to a point where I was either going to continue in my downward spiral or I was going to make a hard exit. And um, somehow that happened. And I also had started working in the field of um, substance abuse treatment. And um, I was working in programs that were not abstinence-based, and I was working with young people. And so... There was no expectation that I be a totally abstinent person, which I wasn't, but I started seeing these kids having these need to get sober and tremendous courage as they talked about their own struggles. And I started admiring my clients and thinking, wow, I wish I could be that honest. And so Mm. that was, um, that was the beginning of my own journey was uh, I really came in through the back door of recovery. Oh, that's funny. But now, did you, was that, that sort of 12, they were doing 12-step work or some variant thereof? At that first place, no, it was not a 12-step oriented uh, program. It was working, again, with teenagers who were involved, criminally involved, and uh, it was not a 12-step program. But then after I left that job, I got a job by accident at a 12-step oriented place. Again, I didn't know what I was applying for. I was applying for a job <laughs> as an educational counselor. It's really kind of funny. I just came in totally ignorant, got a job. Isn't a- that God a- moving in your life? It really was. It was <laughs> the first time I, my first job um, in counseling was for the advertisement was for an SA counselor and I didn't know that SA stood for substance abuse. I thought I was going to be a camp counselor working with kids. (laughs) (laughs) And then my second job, I worked there for a couple of years and then my second job was as a vocational counselor, but it turned out I was working at a 12 step program and I had to drive the bus to take the clients to the 12 step meetings so my first exposure to 12-step meetings was um, driving the bus and having to sit in a sitting area. I wasn't allowed to attend the meetings, sitting in a area waiting for the clients. And uh, I could barely overhear them saying the Lord's Prayer at the end of the meeting. And um, I started closing my eyes and saying it along with them. And, wow. uh, yeah, it was kind of miraculous. And then... I, that that began my um, and I was aware that my drug and alcohol use was a problem, so I started trying to control it and cut back. And anyway, I eventually found complete abstinence while working there, and um, the rest has been an interesting journey. I mean, was there was there some aspect of twelve step work that was rubbing off on you, or that you specifically resonated with it as you got closer to it? Well, again, the courage of the clients, the courage mm. of people who started talking about their trauma and their um, 
and I, by listening to them, I looked at my own trauma. And it's been over 30 years since then, and uh, I've stayed abstinent, and I have continued to look at my own trauma. And now God's put me at a program working specifically with trauma, Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just been an ongoing process. I've always been led to what I needed to learn. What a gift. What a marvelous it's, gift to have that. It really has sometimes coincidences. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I... So how how have you changed by, you know, going through this, this sort of circuitous route to get to the heart of the problem? Well, um, it was, it's been difficult because once I stopped numbing my feelings, I started discovering my trauma. I did not know when I went to my first 12 step meeting, which actually turned, turned out to be adult children of alcoholic and other dysfunctional families. I went there thinking that I had had a perfect family, but for some reason my life was a total train wreck and I was completely messed up and I didn't know why. And that was my truth. I really believed that I'd had this perfect family, perfect upbringing, but I was a mess. I blamed myself completely. But in listening to other people, I started going, oh, well, I relate to that. And, oh, I relate to that. And, oh, that's my story. And so step by step by step, very slowly, I came to realize, not to blame anybody, but to realize that, wow, these things happened and they've had a profound impact on me and they've derailed my whole life and it's up to me to try and get the train back on the tracks. And, um, well, that's, I, I mean, it's, I think when I'm, when I'm, finding myself wanting to ask is did it i mean obviously it had to affect affected your personal relationships throughout right. your life because yeah. you're 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 not being honest to begin with and you know how how did you reconcile that or were you not able to reconcile that well um my first book that i wrote under the name of eve strongheart was the story of me getting out of a very, out of a very abusive marriage, emotionally abusive marriage. And so that was a direct result of all the stuff that I didn't know about myself. Um, and I don't know. I've been married more than once. Um, I am currently not married. I don't see me ever getting married again, unfortunately, even though I have a lovely partner in my life because... I'm so afraid of somebody having power over me, and that is a direct result of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I seem to I tell my partner, unfortunately, we need to keep leave the cage door open yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want me to panic. And um, I've just had to be honest and say I'm going to panic if if yeah. we if I feel trapped because my whole life has been um, a result of being in situations that I felt I couldn't escape from, well, as a child, I couldn't escape, and being abused. And um, so it's hard did you, to... Did you ever have children? No, I've never had children. And uh, again, that's a direct result of my trauma, which I didn't know, but I all I knew was that I was absolutely miserable as a child. I was depressed, I was unhappy, and I didn't know the first thing about a happy childhood. And I just thought... 
if I had children, I would love them so much, and I would not know how to make them happy. And so that was why I didn't have children, because I just thought I can't do that to somebody else. Now, over 60 years old, <laughs> now I could, I would know how to raise a child now. But unfortunately, that ship has sailed. But now I know, oh, that's why I was miserable. And yes, I could have been a good mom and I could have figured out how to make my well, children happy and protect yeah, them. I mean, you know, you say that now the you know, ship has sailed, perhaps biologically, but would you ever think about fostering or adopting or getting volunteering in, in ways that could help children? Maybe. Maybe someday when I retire, but right now I'm working in a very challenging position at a trauma-focused treatment center with first responders, and that really does take most of my emotional energy. So mm. mm-hmm. um, I just don't, again, I think, who knows, if I ever if I ever retire. Um, <laughs> Isn't I, that, you know, do you ever there's... want to retire? I mean, that's a question I think comes up for most people now is, well, what you know, is that I word, I retire? Yeah. I know. <laughs> but I, I find the work that I'm doing right now very meaningful and very rewarding, and I'm still learning so much about trauma and its effects on people and how to recover. And as much as I'm trying to help others, I'm also still growing myself. And mm-hmm. uh, this book, The Black Sheep, I only wrote um, just a couple of years ago. It's very recent. And... Uh, mm-hmm. I wrote it and it? finished it right before I started work at this treatment center. Again, everything's ah, okay. backwards in my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, pray tell. If I I have to assume that you have a message in your books. That what what is the most important message that you're trying to get across? That recovery is possible. That rec- yeah, that's it. Recovery is possible, um, and for people to forgive themselves. Because what I've learned about human beings is that we make sense. If you have all the information about somebody, it makes sense that, you know, the fact that I, my marriages have been a bit of a disaster, it makes sense when you look at the trauma that I went through. And um, the fact that I became addicted to mood-altering substances, it makes sense because I was trying to numb all of this pain. And that's what I've learned about other people, too. And so... When we start to realize that we're only as, you know, our lives have been directed by our trauma sometimes, we can start forgiving ourselves. And that's the beginning of recovery is to realize I'm not a bad person trying to become good. I am a sick person who's been injured and I'm trying to heal. And when we change our attitude towards our mistakes, we can start to forgive ourselves and start to find healing. You know, it's interesting to me that you say that because recovery programs have been around, what, since the 20s, I want to say? And they are, you would have thought we'd made some headway, but this subject is still as relevant and important today, maybe even more so, than it was when they first started trying to develop these programs. I agree. I agree. And um, there's still programs out there that are shaming Um, Mm. and shaming is never going to get you anywhere. That I have learned for sure is that people need love and they need compassion, first of all, towards themselves. Mm -hmm. And um, so finding a, if somebody 
somebody's looking for support in their recovery, make sure they look for support that is warm and encouraging and forgiving because you're not going to get anywhere by saying I'm a horrible person. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that Nobody ever got well doing that. So the first step is um, finding that support, not trying to do it alone, and mm-hmm. finding support that is warm and encouraging. I think that's something we're just that's starting to realize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when did the woman next door come out, Eve? The woman next door came out, I think, in 20... I'm just looking. Um, the woman next door came out in 2017. Okay. And, and then the, the, the black the sheep... The next one... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it came out in 2021. So it's very recent. So the first one, the woman next door, is the story of getting out of a bad marriage. And mm-hmm. again, I had to realize that as much as I might love this person and see the good in him, the relationship was destroying me. And when I finally had to get honest and say, there are limits here to what I can handle. And um, mm. and he was a person with a lot of issues. I just had to be honest with myself about my own limitations and say, this is mm-hmm. destroying mm-hmm. me and I am not allowed to destroy myself. And then The Black Sheep was really written as a chance to, it was, it's a story of my life looking at my childhood, which I'd never really done before. And mm-hmm. realizing that um, much as my, fa- even though my family blamed me and didn't understand me, and I was, I could have called it the scapegoat, but I was blamed for a lot of things that were totally either I didn't do them or they weren't my fault. And mm-hmm. when I started writing that book, I was just trying to understand because I knew I wasn't the person that my family had accused me of, you know, selfish, don't care about anybody, you know, only only do what you want. And it's like, well, that's not true. That's not who I am. So it was really a deep dive on trying to put it all together piece by piece and tell my story. And of course, in order to tell my story, I had to get clear on it first. Absolutely. So where are your books available? Uh, they're <laughs> available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Kindle Direct Publishing, KDP, they're mm-hmm. available um, in ebook formats as well as uh, paper copies. And did you did you think of doing a an audio version? I haven't. Um, okay. I I I almost always ask because in our world, <clears throat> books are not the only way people get material. They walk around with a you know an iPod in their ear, they take a yeah. run and they're listening, and that's where they do their reading. Yes, and I'm, you know? <laughs> I might do I might do that someday. I just haven't crossed that bridge yet. Yeah, yeah. It's I haven't done it either. My book does not have an audio version, but I I think about it all the time because I think it would, you know, it would be good to, you know, it's like leaving not to be crass, leaving money on the table when you don't use a a, a way to get your product out to people uh, yeah. that is, exists, you know. So promotion is an integral part of having a book, and you're a very busy woman with your your work in the uh, in the first responders area. Uh, where do people go to learn about your book? 
Hmm, good question. <laughs> well, I know that um, I tried to write a fairly good description of what the book's about on the back jacket. So I know that that's available. Um, if you look on Amazon, you can pull up the books, and I'm pretty sure you can read the, what do you call it, the synopsis from mm-hmm. the back cover. So that'll tell people more about what they're about. Right. I think, but, you know, again, the, you know, publishing has changed so much over you know I started when I started out my career I owned a bookstore and it's a very different animal from how people get their books today yeah. bookstores you know and and what was cool about books in a bookstore was that you could wander down the you know the aisles and look at whatever was on the racks and do exactly what you're saying look at the back cover take a peek inside and today if you don't know specifically what you're looking for how do you find things? I search badly, <laughs> you know, finding yeah. the keywords. You know, yeah. what are the keywords that I want to talk about? And out of the hundreds of titles in that keyword, how do I know which one is the one I want to read? It's it's yeah. so it's, you know, for me, I think that being out in a place where people can hear you, and see you, and get to know you a little bit helps tremendously for them to resonate with your title. Right. Um, so, do you do any of that kind of thing? I haven't. Um, so far, no, I have not. Um, I think the keyword for my book, The Woman Next Door, is domestic violence, and the keyword for my The Black Sheep is uh, recovery and survivors. So if people are searching those two keywords, they're going to find my books. But no, I mm-hmm. haven't done mm-hmm. any. I haven't done a lot of self-promotion. Um, ultimately, I've written these books because I needed to write them. Uh, mm-hmm. Something inside of me is resolved by explaining it to the point where I actually publish a book. I have to bring it all together and put a nice little bow on it to publish a book about it. <laughs> and that, I, but, that, that, so. Anyways, I, I, I hear I, you. I hear you because I did, you know, when I wrote my book, it was a, very much a, a spiritual, personal journey. We had a landslide that destroyed our home and the recovery process from uh-huh. that was pretty intense. But uh, so do you get feedback? Have you gotten feedback about how people have responded to the book? I have had uh, I have had uh, friends read my books. And yes, I've had a lot of good feedback from them. Um, I tend not to look at online reviews. Honestly, I just don't because there's trolls out there. There's always going to be mm-hmm. somebody who says something hateful because that unfortunately is the nature of the Internet. So I've really, um, I kind of just let these things go off into the universe, and I figure if people want to find them, they will be led to them. It's kind of a hands-off approach. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so far, God's done very well at leading you personally where you needed to be, so um, I imagine he's doing the same thing for others as well. Exactly. I just can only Mm -hmm. hope that um mm-hmm. and i think i have um offered my books to maybe a women's uh, services program and uh the women next door i've done that just a tiny bit and uh the black sheep i don't know i haven't done that yet so i might it's new enough you haven't really decided where you want it to land yeah i or it's just a hands off approach it's like well mm-hmm. if People are meant to find it, they'll find it, and if they don't, they won't. And it's never been about the money for me. So it's about um, 
putting my message out there and making it available to God to lead people to it if if they're meant to find it. Any last thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? I guess the most important thing is if anyone's resonating with what I'm talking about, um, don't try and do it alone. To you know, recovery is possible, and as human beings, we are social creatures, and we need to support each other. And not everybody out there is a safe person to talk to, so be selective in who you share with and find the warm, compassionate support that you deserve. Yeah, warm compassion. I think that is the thing I've come across, that sense of don't don't let yourself be beat up on, either by yourself or by others. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Eve. For the benefit of our listeners, we've been speaking with Eve Strongheart about her book, The Woman Next Door, uh, which is available at Amazon and KDP and probably online bookstores everywhere, and also about The Black Sheep, which also has a long subtitle after it. Uh, Uh, it, (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. It's The Black Sheep, The Survivor's Story of Recovery, and that's the one where I talk about uh, recovery from childhood sexual abuse. Right. And drug addiction. Okay. Yes. So if you've resonated with Eve's story and sense that there are new chapters to be written about your own life, I can help you uncover ways to begin that process. Learn more about my introductory workshops at www.embracepositivechange.com or start getting into checking out some of these uh, programs that are out there to help people who are facing exactly the same kind of issues you may be dealing with. So thank you for listening, and thanks to all those who support this program. We appreciate your your support there. And as we bring this in for a landing, Eve, thank you again for joining the show. Thank you very much for having me. All righty. So bye for now, and have a great day, everyone.